Man, we'll be here when you get done. All right, First right. Kings 19 tonight. First Kings chapter number 19. I'm glad you're here tonight. Great crowd and great spirit. Thank you so much. And uh, for the kind hospitality is a great blessing. Great blessing to have Pastor and Mrs. Bishop and folks from their church here. We had a, a group of their teens over at Wildwood Christian Camp last week in West Virginia. The bishops have had such a special place in our heart and life. We had a few revival meetings over at Lighthouse Baptist Church in Alexandria. We, we greatly look forward to it. God did some great things. And it's a neat place. We love going around and looking at the sites, just uh, seeing some older aspects of our American history. But what made it so special was uh, the special church and, and uh, the friendship of Pastor and Mrs. Bishop. And we pulled in there in part. And, and uh, it just would, uh, just uh, always the fellowship was so great and meant, just made a huge impact upon our life. So much so that, and I told them briefly, but we were years ago, we went to Florida on a vacation and we went to one of these uh, resorts near Disney. And in order to go there, we got a great deal of, we'll give you this many nights free, but you've got to go to one of those presentations. And it's like going to the pastor's office is what it was. And, and you got to go in there and it was a timeshare time kind of thing. Well, we have a deal. It's just part of our marriage. We have a deal. When we go to anywhere near salesmen of any kind, the deal is I don't say anything. And um, I just nod. Christy is the one who gives the final because I just, I, I believe what they tell me. <laughs> I, I, I just take them at face value. This is the best deal you'll ever find. And I'm, 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 I just think I just say thank you so much. And we were I was so nervous one time. We went to buy a van for a ministry, not for us personally, but we were sent to buy this van and we sat down in there and the and um, here was the van for the team, ministry team, and, and Christy said, We'll buy it if you meet this number and you add this and this and this and this and this to it. And the guy said, I can show you my computer. This is about as low as it can possibly go. And uh, he said, I think we're gonna lose on this. I said, I don't want you to lose anything. I mean, if what, do we need to add more to it? And, and, and I got so many bruises on my shin from that, from that conversation. I was so nervous. I was sweating profusely. And Christy's looking at me, shaking her head like that. Don't say a word. And Christy said, no, we're not going to go out of here unless you meet at this. And it's gonna, you're going to add this and add this and add this and add this. I was so nervous. I went over and hugged the salesman. I just felt so bad for him. And um, he said they were going to lose money. I didn't want them to lose money. And, uh, and we walked out of there and Christy said, he made money off of us still. And so we're sitting at this timeshare and, uh, and they were wanting us to buy into this. You got to buy this. You got, and um, I, just, I just shook my head because I can't say anything because I've, I've learned I get myself in trouble. And, and uh, we were at a, before we get to that, just give you an idea as to why, we were at an RV place when we bought an RV for our ministry. That was our only home we lived in for 10 years. And we went, we found one and it was so cheap. The, the prices were so cheap. And um, we, I saw the salesman, I said, do you know you've got the cheapest prices of any place anywhere I've ever seen? Your prices are 20,000 lower than every other place we've ever seen. Until I looked at Christy and she was just going, 
Well, we stopped back by that place after the meeting ended and all those prices were 20,000 marked up. So you can kind of understand why I wasn't allowed to say much. And, and um, well, the guy said, if you will do this, I will throw in a trip anywhere you want to go, all expenses paid. We'll pay for the place. We'll pay for the airline ticket. We'll pay for your rental car. Any place, name the place. Where in the world would you like to go? I said, where would I like to go? Any place, you name it. I looked at Christy and she nodded that I could say something at this. <laughs> I said, I know. He said, where? I said, Alexandria, Virginia. <laughs> and the guy said, what? <laughs> and Christy said, what? <laughs> Christy said, I was thinking of Italy. The guy said, I was thinking of Italy. You said, where would I want to go? Alexandria, Virginia. It's the place I love. There's a great church there. And, and the guy just shut his book and the whole thing shut down. And we didn't have to buy anything, but it was, uh, it, it just was a special place. I, I was where, where we wanted to go. And so it didn't work out. He didn't, he didn't fly us there. And he said, I don't even think it cost you anything to go to Alexandria, Virginia. And, <laughs> So that's a true story because of how special uh, the bishops and Lighthouse Baptist Church have been to us. First Kings chapter 19. We looked at Sunday morning, John chapter 5. When Jesus comes along, he's going to confront us with truth, his presence. What are you going to say? How are you going to respond? What do you want Jesus to do in your life? He will pass you by. But he'll stay if you'll, if you'll let him. We looked at Sunday night how to pray for your pastor because of the pastor appreciation. And it'll tie in still with revival. And we'll see that hopefully a little bit tonight. And then last night we, we looked at, the, um, at the, the matter of uh, how to get right with God. How, how to, to get back to a place of effectiveness looking at Samson. What we learned at the end of Samson's life, if we could apply it in ours, what a difference it would make. And tonight I want us to see just a kindergarten level Christianity. We don't graduate from this. And some things in the life of Elisha as to what can make the Christian life so that we can get everything out of it that God has for us. We're at the end of 1 Kings chapter 19. At the very end, let's stand together, please, and we'll look at verse 19, 20, and 21. We're looking at two men whose names are very similar. One is the older Elijah, and the other is the younger Elisha. Verse 19. So he, that is Elijah, departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and he took a yoke of oxen and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. We're looking at a cursory view, a flyover, bird's eye view of this man, Elisha, tonight. 
On his way from Sinai to Damascus, God directs the steps of the older prophet preacher, Elijah. And he directs him to come across the younger Elisha. Elisha is plowing in the field with 12 yokes of oxen and he with the 12th. Elijah comes along and takes his mantle and he wraps it around the shoulders of the younger Elisha, symbolic for a number of things. But one thing I believe is very clear. When he put his mantle around the younger Elisha, he was saying to him this, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And God did want to use Elisha and God did use Elisha. But in order for God to use Elisha, he had to respond properly to that call. I want you to see tonight that the same God that took Elisha from plowing in the field to making him a preacher of the faith is the same God that wills to use you and me if we would but respond accordingly. I want to preach tonight on this thought, why God used Elisha, why God used Elisha, and how God can use you. Thank you. Please be seated. Elisha was not perfect, but the first and most basic ingredient as to why God used Elisha and how God can use you and me is number one, Elisha was a surrendered man. He was surrendered. Surrender is the only right response that you and I can have to the God who created us, who loves us, and if you're saved, he owns us. Surrenders the only right and proper response. Second Chronicles 30 and verse number eight, now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord. Daniel chapter number three and verse number 28, then Nebuchadnezzar spake concerning Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, they trusted in God and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Why? Because these three Hebrew children were not perfect, but they were surrendered to their God. Romans 12 and verse one, we know this one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And God's not asking anything that is unreasonable of us. Romans 14, verse seven and eight, for no man liveth unto himself, no man dieth unto himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord. Second Corinthians eight and verse five, Paul says, and this they did by the will of God and that they first gave of their own selves and then to us by the will of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. Proverbs chapter 3. Verse number five and six, or five or six, are some of the most misunderstood, misused, and misapplied verses, I think. So often I'll find them in the Christian institution, in the yearbook. If I open it up, I can find somebody often that will have these verses as their life verses, wonderful verses. 
But many times people hold on to these verses because they're going from one station in life to another and they're going into some uncharted territory and they're claiming these verses, believing that God has promised to direct me. Listen, God does direct, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is not primarily about God directing me as much as it is about me surrendering to God. Listen carefully. Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Well, how much of your heart does he want you to trust him with? All well, that, you don't have to have a Bible college degree to understand that one, do you? All your heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Now, why would he say that? Maybe it's because of the so many of God's people who have said things like, well, you know, the way I see it. And it really doesn't matter how you see it. What matters is, what does he say about it? One of the things I love about my Bible is it keeps me from having to pray about a lot of things because when God says it, it settles it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. How many of our ways? Yet we'll do, well, I did this and this and this. I, I think I'm acknowledging him and a good portion of my life. I, I believe maybe I'm acknowledging him in most areas of my life. No, in all thy ways acknowledge him. And God says, then you can take it to the bank. Then I'll direct your path. Henry Varley said a number of years ago that the world is yet to see what God can do with and through and for and in a man who's wholly yielded and consecrated to him. And at that time, there was a young teenage boy by the name of D.L. Moody who said, by the grace of God, I will be that man. And it's no wonder that God used a young man, a high-pitched, nasally voice, never got past eighth grade education, but shook two continents for God and he spared hell of at least a million souls, it says, because of his being surrendered to God. Surrender. See, the Bible says when Elijah put that mantle around the younger Elisha, he was saying, God wants to use you. What did Elisha do immediately upon hearing that? Well, he said to Elijah, let me kiss my father and mother, then I will follow thee. And, and Elisha said, or Elijah said, mm, do whatever you need to do was his, was his response. What have I done to thee? And he's basically saying, whatever, you, you just do whatever you think you need to do. And the Bible says Elisha left him and he went back and he took the cows and he burned the cow. He took the plow, or excuse me, cow, and he killed the cow. He took the plows and he burned the plows. He burned the plow and he killed the cow. And then he told his parents, he told his friends that God wants to use him. He had a party to communicate that he was surrendering to God. Lock, stock, and barrel. Surrender. Let me ask you, are there some cows in your life that might need to be killed? Are there some plows in your life that might need to be burned? 
God's wanting to use you, but you're not willing to quite walk away from the things that are binding you, that are holding on to you. Elisha said, God wants to use me. What else can I do? I can either dabble or I can get all in. And he burned the plow and he killed the cow and he went back and he joined himself to the man of God. Is there a plow in your life that needs to be burned? Is there a cow that needs to be killed? You know, a lot of times when it comes to the message of surrender, some treat it like they would if a preacher is preaching the gospel. You hear the preacher preach the gospel a lot of times because God directs him to do so or he, he recognizes that there's somebody here maybe who needs to be saved. And, but sometimes Christians will just turn the message off saying, well, I've already experienced that. That, that. That's not for me. I don't need this one. And a lot of times when it comes to surrender, we think the same thing. Well, I, I've done this before. I, I can take you to the revival meeting last year where I surrendered. I can take you to the place here at the altar where I surrendered. I can take you to the missions conference where I surrendered. I, I can take you to camp where I, I've already done this before. And the problem is we confuse surrender to something of the nature of salvation. Now, salvation and surrender have their similarities. And certainly they're different, but they have similarities. The similarities is that no one is saved, no one is surrendered by accident. No one's ever going to get to heaven someday and wonder, now how did I get here? No one accidentally gets saved. You have to be deliberate. Whosoever shall confess with his mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, the answer in Acts 16, 31 was there's nothing you can do, but there's a decision you can make because Jesus already did it all. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's not something you morph into. It's a deliberate decision of understanding. Sin is the problem. Hell's the consequence. Jesus is the answer. I don't want my sin. I don't want to go to hell. I need Jesus. And you put your faith and trust and dependence upon Jesus. Jesus. No one is saved by accident. Surrender. No one burns the plow and kills the cow and gets all in by accident. And so there's a similarity. But there's a great difference. Salvation. Salvation is a one-time event. Jesus died one time, buried one time, resurrected one time. You get saved one time. I'm thankful for that. Salvation is a lot like the wedding ceremony. It was June 7th, 1997. I said, I do. Christy said, I do. The preacher said, we did. It's a one-time event. Now, there are some people who, after a period of time of being married, they like to renew their vows. And we've had a couple come to us there um, at Canaan and said, we would like to renew our wedding vows. Would you do this? And I've said, I've told them, and, I, and I've said before, now listen, you want to renew your wedding vows, that's fine. You can do that if you want to. But I want to tell you this. It was too much work for me the first time around, too much money. I ain't doing it again. But thankfully, I don't have to do it again because it worked the first time. But you do whatever you want to do. And a lot of times, we think of surrender to be a lot like salvation and that it's a one-time event. See, salvation, by the way, it wasn't the end. It was the beginning. 
The wedding wasn't the end, it was the beginning. Or it should have been. Surrender is similar in that it requires a definite decision, but it's different than salvation in that while salvation is a one-time event, surrender is to be daily. The truth is, you may have surrendered to God last year and not be surrendered tonight. The reality is, you might have surrendered to God last night and not be surrendered tonight. See, let's qualify surrender. What is surrender? I think Saul in Acts chapter 9 gives us a great picture and that Saul on his way to persecute and stamp out the Christians, stamp out the church of the living God was met by Jesus Christ and and Jesus said to Saul, you know, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to resist the conviction. It's not impossible, but it is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. And Saul said, who art thou, Lord, recognizing whoever this is is greater than he is. And I'm thankful that God Almighty didn't beat around the bush. He said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. <coughs> and Saul puts his faith and trust in Jesus and in the same counseling session, in the same altar call, he not only gets saved, but he surrenders. He says, what will thou have me to do? And Jesus said, arise and go into the city and they'll be told you what you must do. And the Bible says Saul got up, he's blind, he can't see. He's depending upon somebody to help him. And he goes into the city and it's told him what he must do. Amen. What is that? It's surrender. You want to know why Saul wrote half the New Testament? It's because he was surrendered. What is surrender? Here it is. It's a willingness to do anything that God wants you to do. Are you willing to do anything that God wants you to do? Lord, what would thou have me to do? There's a lot of young people who've asked that question. I want to know what God wants me to do. God, what do you want me to do? And God says, I want you to get up, go to the altar at the invitation. No, God, I mean, who do you want me to marry? Where do you want me to go to school? What $100,000 a year job would you like me to take? See, Saul said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? He didn't ask, how many books of the Bible would you like me to write? Because Jesus is Lord, Saul was not. He's still God, and we still are not. What would thou have me to do? See, the truth is, young person, God does know. God does know, and God does have a plan as far as who he would have you to marry, where he would have you to go, what he would have you to do. But here's what Saul is telling us. Don't expect God to be clear about who to marry and where to go and what to do when you don't make up your bed when he says to you, make up your bed by way of your parents. Don't expect him to tell you the big things out there when you don't obey the little things like Saul, get up and go into town. 
You wanna know why God used Saul? Is because when Jesus said, get up and go into the city, Saul didn't say, but I can't see. Didn't we just hear in Proverbs, lean not unto your own understanding and all of thy ways acknowledge him. And Jesus said, get up and go to the city. So you better figure out how to get up and go to the city. Surrender, it's a willingness to do anything that God wants me to do. I'll serve God as long as I can stay close to the grandchildren. Well, I got news for you and that's probably not willing to do anything. Young man said to me one time, I'm willing to serve God in the ministry as long as I can be a youth pastor and make $75,000 a year. I said, I've got a news flash for you. Number one, that ain't gonna happen. I said, number two, that ain't gonna happen. You're not surrendered. Well, I'll serve God. I'm just afraid if I, if I yield to God, he'll make me miserable. Really? Don't you think he knows how to make you miserable even if you don't surrender? You're not gonna find anything in the Bible about God's heart and mind and attitude towards you except the fact that he loves you lavishly. There's a crazy kind of love, like I said the other night. It's just, he cannot, he cannot love you more and he loves you more than anybody could ever possibly love you. And yet we're thinking if I surrender, he'll make me miserable. Well, I find the other, if you try to run from him, oh, he knows how to help you with your misery. But he loves you so much, he'll deliver you. Surrender is a willingness to do anything. Number two, surrender is an obedience to God in everything. Lord, what would thou have me to do? Get up and go to the city. What happened? Saul got up and he went to the city. Elijah said, God wants to use you by the placing of the mantle. Elisha, he burned the plow and he killed the cow. It's a willingness to do anything, obedience to God and everything. That's why I said you could have surrendered last year, last week, even last night. And this morning, God spoke to you. You need to make that right with so-and-so. But God, they started it. See, you're not right with God by arguing with God. You need to take this step of faith. Well, I just can't see how it's going to work out. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. God's directing hinges upon your willing to do anything, obedience to God in everything. Burn the plow, kill the cow. His name was F.B. Meyer. He's in heaven now. F.B. Meyer was a preacher, and he went to a younger preacher, and he said, you have something that I lack. Can you help me with what it might be? The younger preacher asked, are you surrendered? F.B. Meyer said, yes, but deep down inside, he knew he was not. He went back to his place of study. He got down upon his knees and he cried out to God, oh God, I want to be willing to do anything. Oh God, I want to obey you in everything. And God was dealing with him in his heart and tears were coursing down his face. And, and then his eyes grew heavy and he drifted off into sleep. And then he began to dream. While there upon his knees, he fell into a sleep and began to dream, and it was just a dream. But in his dream, he dreamt that he was crying out to God about surrender. In his dream, he dreamt that the Lord Jesus walked into the room where he was kneeling. In his dream, the Lord Jesus approached him and said, Meyer, I want the keys to your life, all of them. Meyer reached into his pocket in that 
dream and he pulled out a ring of keys and he handed it to the Lord. And in that dream, the Lord Jesus took those keys and counted them one by one. The Lord Jesus then turned in that dream and commenced to walk out the same door to which he entered, to which F.B. Meyer said, Lord, wait, don't leave me. I don't want you to leave me. To which the Lord Jesus in his dream said, Meyer, I told you I wanted all the keys to your life. One is missing. And if I'm not Lord of all, I'm not your Lord at all. Meyer began to weep profusely in his dream, just like he had when he was awake. He reached into his pocket and he pulled out one solitary key and he handed it to the Lord. Let me ask you, is there a key tonight you're holding on to? Maybe it's your plans. Maybe it's your dreams. Maybe it's your pain, your hurt, that grudge. Maybe it's that secret. What is it? He's trustworthy. You can hand it to him. Burn the plow. Kill the cow. Be willing to do anything obedient to God in everything. Daily. Why? Because new opportunities come into your life that may shift our focus. New obstacles come along that may throw us off track. And we have to revisit Am I willing to do anything that God wants me to do? Will I obey him in everything that he tells me to do? Listen, this is not a preacher level course. This is kindergarten level Christianity. Burn the plow, kill the cow. Would you take your Bible and go to 2 Kings chapter 2 and we'll finish up here. In 2 Kings chapter number 2, Elijah, the older preacher, is about to move off the scene. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Terry, here I pray thee. For the Lord hath sent me to Bethel, and Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Notice verse 3, And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee. For the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, and this is Elisha's responding, the same thing that he said in verse 2, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. Verse 5, the sons of the prophets there, again, these are Bible college students, and they come to Elisha saying the same thing. Don't you know that things aren't going to stay the way they are? Notice in verse number 6, and Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And Elisha said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. 
I want to tell you why God used Elisha and how God can use you. Number one, Elisha was surrendered. When he heard that God wants to use him, he responded to the call of God. He wasn't just a hearer, he was a doer. He burned the plow, killed the cow, joined himself to the man of God. Time has gone on. We're not given a lot of the information as far as what the time was like. And here Elijah is about to be moved off the scene. And Elijah tells Elisha, God is directing me. And we just saw these places, these locations going from Bethel to Gilgal to Jericho and over to Jordan. So God was directing Elijah to go from Bethel to Gilgal to Jericho and over to Jordan. And each time Elijah says to Elisha, now God is directing me to go from here, Bethel, to Gilgal to Jericho and over to Jordan. Each time they have the same conversation. And each time Elijah says to Elisha, you might want to stay put. You might just, you might want to, there's a, there's a Bible college right down the road and there's a bunch of sons of the prophets and, and you know, you can see them off in the distance and they're watching. You might want to just stay put. And Elisha said, as long as God's alive and you're alive, I'm sticking with you. Someone said one time, well, don't you think Elisha's kind of being disobedient because he's disobeying Elijah? Now, I want to tell you this, and I mean this, I'm just trying to figure out a good way to say it. Do you think Elisha's being disobedient to the man of God by not staying put? And the answer is no. No. Elijah's saying to Elisha this. God's not looking for somebody to dabble. God's not looking for someone who will just be a spectator. God's not looking for someone who's content just to view afar off. Elijah is presenting to Elisha this. God. God is working in my life. I've already told you, Elisha, God wants to use you. God's directing me from Bethel, and we're going to go over to Gilgal, in the same situation, he's taking me from Gilgal to Jericho, same scenario, from Jericho over to Jordan. And each time, Elijah is trying to help Elisha to see another basic but key ingredient as to how God used Elijah and how God can use Elisha and how God can use us. You ready? Number two. Elisha was serious. He was serious about the things of God. He was serious. I'm going to tell you what COVID did for us. It helped us to see who was really serious. Right, right, right. Amen. Amen. Calvary Baptist did like Canaan Baptist and probably like Lighthouse and so many others. And you're right here. You're right here at the, at the breath of the nostril of, of the government right here. But, but, but we complied as much as we, we knew to comply and we shut down and we did, we, did, we did what we thought was the right thing. But we also, when we began to figure out 
God's not a part of a lot of this. And we started going back to having our in-person services. We started finding, well, weeks turned into months and months turned into many more months and months went into a year. And there were some pastors that never did go back to having more than just a Sunday morning service. And I began to think, I think some pastors were excited for COVID to give them a reason to cut the services out. Oh, I don't blame, I don't blame people. You've got a brain and you've got a Bible, but I think responsibility is placed and blame is placed where God says it ought to be placed. And that is at the leadership. And there are a lot of men across the country that are hirelings, men that are, are entertainers, men that have taken the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth, and they've turned it into a comedy routine. They've turned it into a nightclub. Club feel. They've taken the, the, the standards that are designed to help us get closer to God and stay closer to God and they've made fun of those things and they've caused people to think that you can serve God and still be involved in the things of the world. And I'm going to tell you one of the great problems is we just have lost the preaching to help people see that God is serious about you and he's calling people to get serious about him. And all Elijah was saying is, you're not going to come, you're not going to start on this trip with me and get homesick. Because I'm telling you, Elisha, I'll leave you by the side of the road. I've got to follow God. And Elisha said, as long as God's alive and you're alive, I'm sticking with you. Jesus said, in Luke chapter number nine, no man will come after me, can come, come after me unless he is willing to deny himself and take up his cross daily. Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? You're gonna to have to be more than a fan. There are some people in our church they don't, they don't mind. I mean, they're, they'll say, man, they'll, they'll, they're a fan as long as it doesn't require too much lifestyle change. That's right. Amen. That's exactly and yet we saw in Romans 12, Paul said, this is re it's, it's reasonable service. It's reasonable. Jesus said in Luke chapter number 14, I believe it is, verse 26, 27. I said it, I think, on Sunday that no man can come after him. No one is following Jesus like Elisha followed Elijah unless your love for Jesus in contrast to your love for everything else looks like hatred. He, he, he even went on to say, your, your father, mother, your, 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 your wife, your children, your brothers, sisters, yea, even your own life also. Jesus said, you, can't, you cannot be my disciple. And yet we've got preachers that are 
trying to make a group of, they're calling all, I mean, discipleship is a buzzword. You've got an emphasis on it. We have an emphasis on it. We didn't come up with it. Jesus did. And discipleship is not a book. It's a class. We have a book we use. You have a class. We have, but discipleship is not something that a certificate says I am. Discipleship is when you burn the plow and you kill the cow, you're willing to do anything. You're obedient to God in everything daily. And you're serious about the things that he's serious about. Jesus said, you're fooling yourself. If you think you're a disciple, you might be saved on your way to heaven. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. That is not the same as being a disciple. Serious. Serious. Well, church is at 10 a.m. I don't think Sunday school is all that important. It's a good thing he didn't call you to be the pastor then. Well, you know, I don't think it really matters where we sit. Really? Huh. Well, do you want to say anything else that may expose how many brain cells are not functioning? ways in which, because I, I know this sounds good, but, but let's, just, let's just make it practical and, and apply it. Where is it that you find Elisha displaying seriousness? I, I really believe this. I believe it with all my heart. He was serious about following God. Are you? You say, I'm afraid to say anything. I just, I'm afraid to say it's a trick question. No, it's not a trick question. But you see how serious Elisha is by his following and sticking with the man of God. Right, right. I just don't think you're going to go wrong by sticking with the man of God. Tell it. Amen. Well, if my pastor was Elijah, I'd stick with him as well. Oh, I wish I had a pastor like Elijah. No, it's not the name of pastor. I know this is Old Testament here, but you find a greater emphasis in the New Testament. We saw that Sunday night on our responsibility to the pastor, everybody needs three things, a personal relationship with God, a church family, not a church to attend, but a church to belong to, and a pastor. See, I believe everybody is called to pastor a church or help the one who is pastoring. Yes, sir. Elisha stuck with Elijah. And if, you've know, if you know anything about Elijah, He's a strange bird. Just read chapter number one. Don't do it right now, but chapter number one, you find Elijah, he's up on the mountain. 
And King Ahab is ticked off because he thinks Elijah's messing up things. And he was. He was messing up his worldly pleasure. He was messing up his defiling and, and, and perverting the, the, the things of God. And Elijah's just being God's free agent and God's spokesman, just doing what God's told him to do. And Elijah says, I'm not putting up with it. Or King Ahab says, I, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And he sent a group of 50 men to the bottom of the mountain. And he said, you go tell Elijah that pre I wanted a meeting with him right now. And that captain with 50 men went to the bottom of the mountain and said, Oh, thou man of God, the king says, you come down, you come down now. And Elijah said, if I be a man of God, let the fire of God fall down. The fire of God fell down and struck that captain with 50 men. King says, I'm not putting up with this. And he sent another captain with 50 men. He went to the bottom of the mountain and said, Oh, man of God, the king said, you better come down now. And Elijah said, if I be the man of God, let the fire of God come down now. The fire of God came down, killed that captain with 50 men. And King said, I can keep playing this game. He sent a third captain with 50 men. Now, I think the smartest man in the Old Testament up to this point is this third captain. Now, you look at it sometime and you're going to find this captain went to Elijah a little bit. If you had to step over 102 dead bodies to get to the preacher's office, you might want to think about how you approach him. And so he, he, he steps over there and he says, old man of God, the king said, you come now, if it works out in your schedule, you think about it, pray about it, and you just, you just get back to me when you can. And God said, Elijah, go on ahead. I'm telling you, Elijah was a strange bird. But you'll never find Elisha undermining or crossing Elijah. For years in evangelism, I was given advice by a lot of evangelists about where I need to base out of. It's very important, Brother Ingram, that you base out of a place. One older evangelist who has written books has said, you want to base it out of a place, a church that's out in the middle of nowhere, no one knows anything about it, so that you can fly under the radar screen. Another evangelist said, Brother Ingham, you want to base out of a church so that you will not be under the thumb of a pastor. I want to tell you, for many years, we struggled with where we, we, we were members of a church, but we always felt I was there to get prep, a preparation and I got a master's degree and then we're, God's going to move us. And we were just paralyzed for years, making it a matter of prayer. Where are we supposed to land? And God, one day so gracious, and God's done this so many times, he's put men into my life at the right time to help me with missing truth. And I began to see that I didn't need to base anywhere. I remember sharing this with some evangelists and they were saying, that's exactly right. We don't think we need to base anywhere either. I said, no, but I do think I need to belong. I think I need a pastor. I think I need a church family. And God helped me with my ecclesiology. I didn't need a place just to put my tithes. I didn't need a place that would just say, here's my church because it looks good on a prayer letter. No, I needed where God was, was putting his stamp of approval for 2,000 years. He's been working out of the institution known as his body, and he's the head. And I recognize that if I am to trust God and follow God, I need to do so through the agency that God has ordained to be the pillar and ground of truth. 
truth and the, the institution that God says the authority of hell will never prevail against it. He never said that about my ministry. He did say it about his church. And I remember when we began to change things and we began to honor the church that Jesus honors. I remember talking to my pastor about things. Hey, pastor, what would you think? What do you, is this okay? Here's my itinerary. And, and, I, and I know my pastor would say, I, I just, he didn't say it, but I knew he's looking at it thinking, I don't really care. Go where you want to go. Do what you want to do. And he didn't care. He wasn't trying to put his thumb. He didn't care, but I did. He wasn't trying to put his thumb, but I was trying to get God's hand on my life. And here's what happened for 17 years. We had been praying that God would give us a child. I believe with all my heart, Priscilla sits right over there. She'll be 10 in November because we honored what God Almighty honors, that which his son is ahead of and that which is his body. And, and when we did that, God gave us the great desire of our heart and gave us Priscilla. I know, I know that he did this and he opened up our ministry and so many things happened because we were making the big deal what he makes a big deal, and that is him. Him. I'm telling you, you want God to use you. Stick with the man of God. God's going to direct him. God's going to give him some insight into things. We said it on Sunday night. Your pastor, no pastor is ever going to be able to stand up and tell you everything he knows about everything. And he's going to be misunderstood. He's going to be maligned. He's going to be criticized and he's going to have to take it because he's got to protect the whole and you will never understand all the things that are happening. But this I do know. If you can trust and obey God, God says you do it by trusting God and following the man of God. He said, I just don't think that that paradigm works. Have you ever heard of this? Husband, wife. Wife, submit, and there is no perfect husband. I am so glad no woman said amen right there. That's, that's so good. Children obey and honor. There are no perfect parents. And all of the parents can say amen. But God's blessing, it hinges upon whether you will trust God, follow the parents God has given you, trust God, follow the husband that you're married to. You say, but he's a jerk. Well, you married him. Then trust God for more grace to follow the jerk that you married. But still God's plan is perfect. But how much more to be used of God and to experience the fire falling in your life and experiencing that God can use you by getting serious and sticking with the man of God. We're not talking about worshiping. I mean, I'm not talking. I know it gets abused. I know, I know that there are big shots. And, and, and we've got so many, so many conferences. You pull up the poster of the conference and everybody's a doctor. Nobody's nurses. And, and it's just, it, it, we could cut down on the ink that we use on the brochures if we just eliminate doctor from their name. Listen, there are no big shots. God doesn't call big shots. He's as big as he'll, it is, it'll ever get. How much 
bigger can you get than God? We're not big shots. We're just servants. And I'm so thankful. I'm so honored and humbled that God who's up to something will let us serve him. I'm not talking about hero worship. The real man of God does what Jesus does and gets down and he makes himself of no reputation and he's willing to humble himself and serve. I'm not saying this for your pastor. I'm not saying any of this for his sake. I'm saying this for your sake. You want God to use you, Elisha? I'd stick with Elijah wherever God's sending him. I'd stick with Elijah. That's what I, I don't know what else to tell you. Well, well, what, what's going to happen? I don't know, but God is sovereign. God's in control. God knew all this before tonight even started. God knows. Trust him. Let me look at the last thing real quick. God used Elisha because he was surrendered. He burned the plow, killed the cow, willing to do anything, obedient to God and everything. But it wasn't just that one night in 1 Kings 19. It went on daily. And he had to constantly face when decisions and opportunities and obstacles came into his life. But also because he was serious. Oh, preacher, as long as you're alive and God's alive, I'm sticking with you. So much so that look at what happens in 2 Kings chapter 2. Verse number 9, and it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And Elijah said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. All right, now here's what happened. Elisha's sticking with him. Elijah says, What do you want, Elisha? Elisha said, I've been waiting for this. He says, I'll tell you what I'd like. I'd like some recognition around here. No, that's not what he said. I sure would like a pay raise. No, he didn't say that. He says, I've enjoyed watching God work so much. I'd like a double portion of that which God has done in your life. Now, Elijah's honest with him. You've asked a hard thing. Not that it's hard for God. Do you know it's not hard to get things from God? But he's telling him, here's the key. You've been surrendered. You've been serious. But if you want to end well, you've got to be number three, steadfast. Now's not the time to go off and start your own thing. You've got to stay close enough so that you see me when I'm taken up. Remember those sons of the prophets? There's a whole group of them. They just watch things afar off. Don't be one of those. Steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 BE, steadfast, unmovable. What is steadfast? That means you're going to have to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. What is unmovable? You're going to have to stay in the same place for a long time. One of the great dangers of living in places like our place and maybe, maybe here, 
um, is that we have so many churches crammed. We've got more churches than we do McDonald's. And most of them got started not because of a call of God, but because of a disgruntled man. And what happens is people get so used to, if it doesn't go well here, well, we're just going to go somewhere else. And people do not learn how to work through their problems. Our Bible preaching, believing churches, we look so much like Hollywood marriages. What a great thing, great so-and-so here, great so-and-so here come together and they make it a whole three years. And they get the award for the longest marriage in Hollywood. Why? Because they do not know how to just work through problems. But they're lost and going to hell. We have a Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. We are in the place called the church of the living God. This local assembly of disciples who are committed to following God. No turning back, no turning back. Yet something happens. Well, I wasn't expecting to get my feelings hurt. Well, Paul says in Ephesians 6, suit up. You need to be prepared so that you don't lose ground. How many times did he say stand? That you may be able to stand. That you may be able to stand. Keep, don't lose ground. You're going to get hit. Why do you need to put pads on and armor on if you're not going to get hit? We would, we would laugh at a football player when football season rolls around who says to the coach, I got hit. Somebody hit me. Well, of course. That's why we're watching. Now get back out there and hit them. That doesn't quite translate to the church. Don't do that, but But problems are going to come. Great peace have they which love thy law, nothing shall offend them. Stay and work it out. Work it out. Steadfast. Proverbs chapter 24, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I believe it is in Proverbs chapter 25, I think it is, that, that confidence in an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Broken tooth, it hurts, a foot out of joint, it hinders progress, and yet we're trying to depend upon God's people to do things, trying to get somebody to teach a class, trying to get somebody to clean a bathroom, trying to get people, and I just, I just, I just can't do it, I just don't have time to do it, I just can't do it, and we're, and we're trying to hope to see people saved, hope to see the church go forward, and yet so many unfaithful people, you don't come to church and you don't wonder if, if your pastor's going to show up. How often does he come to church and wonder if you're going to show up? Do you know 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where it says steadfast and unmovable? God says what steadfast, doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. By the way, don't ever use the word bored. We've, we've made it a point. Don't let our kids say bo they're bored. If you're saved and, 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 you, and you have God in you and our three children, are, you have no reason to ever be bored. And steadfast and unmovable, God says, I'll tell you what that translates into. Always abounding. 
You know why a lot of times God's people don't abound? Because they move out before God ever moves in. Steadfast and unmovable. Elijah said, what do you want, Elisha? Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. I think it was John R. Rice that said, Elijah had performed eight miracles. Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. When Elisha died, Elisha performed 15 miracles. Eight plus eight is 15, and Elisha got exactly that which he asked for. It usually tells me who the homeschoolers are. They're the ones sitting there going, can I tell him he's wrong? So many of the blondes are going, that's exactly right. That's what I've been saying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And finally, somebody who knows math. You think Elisha got gypped. Remember that body that was thrown into a grave with the bones of Elisha and that dead body touched the bones of Elisha. That dead body came to life, number 16. I sometimes wonder if Elisha's not saying, hey, that's for a triple portion. What does James 4 say? We have not because we... And we ask not because we don't really care. He was surrendered. He was serious. He was steadfast. These are not one night formulas. This is daily. Day in, day out. And the God who used Elisha is the same God that will use you. Let's stand together, please. Lord, I preach the burden you put on my heart and pray that you'd help us. Lord, we need you. We need you day by day, moment by moment, every hour. And Lord, help us to not be so caught up with the things we can't figure out. And I don't have all the answers. You do, but you don't even give us all the answers. But you do give us what we do need to know. And help us to trust you and, and take imperfect people and imperfect lives and, and watch the perfect word of God and the perfect son of God display the perfect will of God for each and every one of us. So, so Lord, would you work in our midst? We don't want you to pass us by. Do what only you can do tonight. We're asking that you get down into our heart, open our eyes where there might be some self-deception, open our eyes to that. Where there might be some satanic deception, some deceiving, lying from the evil one, would you shine the spotlight on that? Lord, help us to have a meeting with you in this invitation. In your name we pray this. And I'll turn it over to Pastor. Altar's open. Folks are praying. There's room for more.